Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equips you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon. Awesome. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to worship this first Sunday of Advent. It's wonderful to be looking forward to the Christmas season. So Advent, that's the time we get to uh, trade in our pumpkin spice for eggnog, right? Oh, and I get to wear my Christmas tie. Like my Christmas tie? But as Miss Mary said, Advent is a time of preparation of something that is coming and uh, expectation of its arrival. For Advent, we'll be looking at the birth of Jesus from several different points of view, including uh, Mary, Joseph, wise men, and shepherds today. It's going to be the shepherds. Also, by the way, did you know that there was a fourth wise man? Yeah, but he got turned away for bringing a fruitcake. Boo, I know, no. I know, you guys knew there were only three, right? Because it's in the Bible, there are three wise men. In fact... Brad, do you know the wise men's name? Harry, Marvin, Kevin. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is it never names the wise men. It never tells how many there are. But we have all this tradition that has grown up around it uh, of the retelling of the story for centuries with a little bit of embellishment and maybe a little something extra. Makes me wonder, how would the Christmas story come across in Luke? to someone in the first century, a Middle Eastern here of the first century, that might be different significantly from how we have learned to hear the story. And in particular, how about the shepherds? What was special about the shepherds? What they saw and what they heard. So to answer this question, I turn to one of my favorite New Testament scholars, Dr. Ken Bailey, who was professor of New Testament studies at the Ecumenical Institute for Theological Research in Jerusalem. Ken spent more than 40 years living in the Middle East and was fluent in Hebrew, Greek, Arabic, and Aramaic. And over these years, Ken interviewed thousands of Middle Eastern residents of all languages, ethnicities, and religions about the reading of the New Testament and of the Gospels in particular. And hundreds of details about these accounts have stepped out to his interviewees in ways that modern Western hearers really miss entirely. Such is the case with Luke 2. So let's read it and then have a go at some of the bright spots that we might have overlooked. This is Luke 2, chapter 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds then returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Wonderful story. So how many of you have seen a Christmas play or program featuring Joseph and Mary arriving late at night in a community just crowded with out-of-town visitors, only to be turned away again and again by innkeeper after innkeeper saying, sorry, no vacancy, no room at the inn, until finally a kindly proprietress offers the desperate young couple the use of a stable out back for lack of anything better. If you stop and think about it, this makes Joseph a pretty poor travel planner, doesn't it? But in fact, the couple had already arrived at least days and perhaps weeks before the birth, so that when the days were completed for Mary to be delivered, she brought forth her firstborn son. This is the first of many things that Ken Bailey noticed that we sometimes get wrong about the Christmas story. But another one has to do with hospitality. In the ancient Near East, hospitality was legendary. It was a hallmark of the cultures. And Joseph and Mary were also from around Bethlehem. Remember, they were of the, of the line and the clan of David. Not only that, but Mary had recently been visiting her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah in the hill country of Judea, which is centered right between Bethlehem and Hebron. And so it's very unlikely that they didn't know people in the community. They were probably staying with family. So the whole no room at the inn narrative really doesn't make any sense. And this is important to our story of the shepherds because of what the angel said to them. The angel said, this will be a sign to you. What was it that was the sign? What did the angel say? You're going to sign a sign. It's a flashing no vacancy, red neon, right? Was that the sign? What was the sign? You will find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. This is going to be the sign to you. And Ken's research about first century village life in Judea revealed that the way that a household was set up there was often accommodating animals in the home. So in other words, the home would be built in a slope or a hillside, and it would have several levels, including a very lower level uh, at the entrance where the animals could be brought in at night to provide some warmth and to keep the animals safe. And then into the floor or just above the floor, there would be a trough of some sort, a manger, something for the animals to eat and drink out of. Often this was just a depression 
carved into the stone or the floor. And then above that would be a living area. And then beyond that, or sometimes on the roof, would be this uh, guest room. The word that is used in the Greek is katalama, and it doesn't mean inn like a roadside inn. Luke knows that word. He uses that for the Good Samaritan story about the inn where the uh, injured man is kept. But katalama is actually used for the upper room where Jesus and his disciples took their last supper. So katalama means upper room. It was the room where the guests might have stayed in a private home, but that room was already occupied. It was full. So the laying of the baby in the manger now in that lower part of the house makes sense. But now you will find the child swaddled. Swaddling is a thing now. When I was a young parent, Lori and I, we didn't swaddle our children. We just threw them in the kid and, uh, crib and hoped for the best. But our daughters, they swaddled their babies. And that means that they wrap them up real tight in blankets or swaddles and put them in the crib where they can't roll away and it just calms them and they feel safe and secure and they go to sleep really quickly. It works really well. But I got to ask, what on earth would that mean to a shepherd? What special meaning could swaddling have for a shepherd? Well, interestingly, Ken found some other stuff about shepherds. The Mishnah required that uh, regular sheep herds would be kept not in the places around the cities or towns, but out in the countryside, in the wilderness. The only kinds of flocks that would have been kept near Bethlehem, which was quite close to Jerusalem, would have been the Levitical flocks for the temple sacrifices. So it's very likely these were not just any old shepherds, but these were Levites, part of the clan of the priesthood, who had the charge of overseeing the sacrificial lambs. And all of the instructions on how to maintain that sacrificial flock were well documented. Not only that, but there was a tower very close to Bethlehem called Migdal Eder. It was a place used by the Levitical shepherds to watch their flock, a very special flock that was just for the temple sacrifices, protecting them from predators and keeping the sheep from wandering off. At its base, it had a cave-like structure where the shepherds would take the pregnant ewes who were ready to give birth. The place was designed specifically for this purpose. The lambs would then be swaddled, tightly wrapped in cloths to protect them from injury and to keep them warm. They would then be laid in a manger that was there in the base of the tower, which was a slight depression in the rock shelf, just like in those uh, country homes, keeping them safe until the lambs and ewes had both recovered enough that the lambs could uh, stand up and begin to nurse. All of this to protect them as the law required that these sacrificial lambs had to be spotless and without blemish and not a bone of them may be broken in order for them to be fit for the temple service. So if these shepherds indeed were Levites charged with the care of the sacrificial flock, the sign of the swaddle and the manger now make a lot more sense than they would for just any old shepherds. And these shepherds would have easily caught the suggestion made by taking this Savior, Messiah, swaddling him and laying him in the manger just like those little lambs. And he is the one perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just as Jesus' cousin John the Baptist would say of him some 30 years later. Now Ken brings out dozens of other Old Testament scriptures and prophecies all about this that add weight to these conclusions. I don't have time to go into them all now. It's a fascinating story of understanding this, this story of Christmas from a new point of view. So there's the sign. You will find the child swaddled and laid in a manger. 
Now to the message that the angels brought to the shepherds. Let's try to listen first to it as the shepherds would have heard it. The first thing they hear is fear not, right? Always the same thing with angels, right? Every time the angels appear to somebody, the first thing they say is fear not, right? Why is that? Well, if you saw an angel and the glory of the Lord shining around about them, you'd do what everybody else in the Bible does when they see an angel, right? They fall on their face like dead people. And the angel has, come on, get up, get up, don't be afraid. I have great news, uh, good news of great joy to bring for you. And that's what the angel said. I have good news of great joy for all the people. This very day, said the angel, in the town of David. And it's through whose line that God's promises are foretold to be fulfilled. This David. So today is born to you a savior. Whoa, wait a minute. If a Levite heard the word savior, do you think that would have been a, a pretty awesome charged word? That's an that's important word. Who is Messiah? That is God's anointed one. We're talking David's line, Savior, Messiah. Now, what are the shepherds hearing? They're Levites. They've been trained in this stuff. They're, they're hearing these power words. And now the Lord, he is Savior and Lord. Whoa, now we're super mega woe. We gloss right over these words because we have heard them so often and so many times. We know the end, the middle, and the beginning of the story. But these Levites, these shepherds, because these prophecies were the truth and the identity that these people were brought up with and raised, these words must have hit them like hammer blows, like gut punches, a savior, really, who is Messiah, the anointed and promised one, and Lord, which is really close to calling him the Son of God. And all people, for all people, even the Gentiles, they must have been wondering, wow, this is really big news. I think we have to just stop for a minute and realize what big news this really was for these shepherds. And then if one angel were not enough, a great multitude of the heavenly host appears praising God and proclaiming glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now what does this mean? Well, first of all, that God's glory exceeded everything else in heaven or on earth. There is no glory greater than his. And it is now fully revealed and accomplished in his Messiah, his anointed, his chosen Savior. And where God's glory is fully recognized, received, and praised and proclaimed, there will his favor rest and there will his peace follow. That's good news. And this is not just a feel-good message of, oh, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, which is how the old English Bible has it. In fact, at Jesus' birth, something interesting that historians reveal is that the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, prevailed. During that few short years before and after the time of Jesus' birth, there was an absence of active warfare anywhere in the Roman Empire. But what the angels are talking about is not the Pax Romana. They're talking about Shalom Yahweh. They're talking about God's peace. God's peace that passes all of our understanding. God's perfect restoration of justice and of mercy and of grace for all who receive the favor of God's Prince of Peace. True peace, you see, is found not in the absence of conflict, but in the presence of God. 
as our series on Peter and Joel have taught us over the last few weeks. And that presence now comes to our shepherds and to us, not only as a prophecy or a promise, but now as a person. Even Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior, and our Lord. Now God's salvation, God's shalom, was what every Jew longed for. It's what every Levite worked for. And now that shalom will be present to anyone and everyone who embraces God's favor in Christ Jesus the Lord. This is good news of great joy indeed. Too good to ignore, so the shepherds leave their flocks, which is pretty stunning when you think about it. They leave their flocks to go see this thing that the Lord has revealed to them. And this news is too good not to share. So then they go and they wake up the whole town to tell everybody what they have seen and heard. I wonder whether there was an insomniac or two watching the heavens as the moon rose who also saw the angels choir up in the sky. It must have been quite a sight. But in any case, the shepherds' account was received with not ridicule or suspicion, but with amazement and joy. And so they return to the work of their vocation. So now what perspective or viewpoint best reflects that of the shepherds in our story for us today? Well, the shepherds, if they were the Levitical clan shepherds, were attentive to the promise and the prophecy of Messiah. They were ready to see and hear what God was going to reveal. And they were willing to look beyond the sacrificial system to see the fulfillment of God's promises and prophecies, even though they were presently laboring to fulfill as they were called. Are we? Are we open and ready to God's revealing, to God's intention? So here's our takeaway. God chose these special shepherds for a special announcement. He knew that they were looking forward to something, believing God's promises. They were faithfully about their work, but they were also not too busy to notice. Sometimes we are too busy to notice what God is doing right around us. They were willing to follow the signs. They were not too proud to share. And through it all, they joyfully praised and glorified God. So, how about us? Are you looking for something during this Advent, this time of expectation? What are you looking for, and how will you know it when you see it? Or are you too busy to see it? Do you feel that life has nothing more to offer? Because if this life is all we have and then we die and we're gone, that's a pretty hopeless, there's our candle of hope, that's a pretty hopeless reality. But God has something greater for us. God has an announcement of good news full of great joy. But the question is, are we willing to follow the signs by which God will lead us to his Messiah? Have you taken the time and the initiative to really familiarize yourself with his promises and his prophecies? Are you willing to make God's glory the highest glory in your life? And are you willing to recognize and embrace his glory with thanksgiving and praise? And for those of us who've done that, are we willing then to go and wake up the whole town and tell them all about it, like the shepherds did? Well, if you're in that group of people who are still wondering what this is all about, what the means of God's purpose is, and how to be under that peace, to be in that favor of God. It's really simple. It has to do with Jesus Christ. 
If you know Christ by these power words that the shepherds heard, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, then we know who Jesus is, and we know that he is God's anointed one for us. But if we aren't too sure about Jesus, the thing to do is to open your heart, your mind, and your Bible and understand God's prophecies and promises about Jesus. And if you're at that place of saying, I'm looking, I'm wanting, I need to know that there's something more in life than just working a day, the live, buy, consume, die cycle. And if that's you, I invite you to come closer. Because this is a time where we're waiting for God, but there's also the reality that God has been waiting for you to come near, to hear this good news of great joy for all people, that we now have a Savior and a Lord in the Anointed One, Jesus Christ. And to do that, we just pray something like this. Lord, I know that I am not perfect and without blemish. I am broken and wounded, and I need your help. I am a, sa a sinner in need of a Savior. And so, Lord Jesus, I invite you to be my Savior. And I pray, God, that your favor would rest on me in Jesus Christ, who I would name now as my Savior and my Lord. If you pray that prayer, welcome. Come into the family and be known as an adopted son or daughter of God and a sister or brother in the family of Christ. If you've done that, please fill out the communication card or contact the church in some other way because you can't walk the Christian life alone. You need to have a family. You need to have a group, and that we would love to be that group for you. And for the rest of us, take heed of what the shepherds did. They watched and listened. They responded when they saw. They, sh they shouted the good news to everyone who would hear. They believed God. Let's do as the shepherds did. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the witness of these shepherds who were ready and attentive to your promises and prophecies. And we pray during this Advent season, Lord, that we would recognize your coming and know and see your glory around us. Help us not be too busy to see that. And we also pray, Lord, during this weird year of 2020, that you would touch us afresh and anew with your presence, that in the midst of the things that we do during this Christmas season, we would remember that it's all about you and that you have revealed yourself to us in the word and in the person of Christ. So help us to recognize and see you all around us and help us to honor you and hold you in the highest glory of all. All this we pray in our Lord's name, Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Anointed One. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the Life of Grace podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to lifewithgrace.com slash connect where you'll find a link to contact us or even fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless.